You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. impersonators, imposters, and the image of God. And we're going to be talking about experiencing the joy of the Lord. And we're going to pray one more time for our hearts, this time that God would fill our hearts with joy. So put your hands on your hearts again and pray this with me. Dear Jesus, fill my heart with your joy. Amen. And Father, I pray again that you would renew our minds And wherever our thoughts are skewed, that you would bring them back to you, that we would view you rightly. And I thank you that I can feel your presence here. Thank you that you are with us. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Amen. So our opening text this morning is Rejoice in the Lord Always. I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This can be translated different ways, and I want to show you a couple different ways it can be translated. We could say also, find your joy in the Lord always. I will say it again, find your joy in the Lord And here's another way we can translate it. Take delight in the Lord always. I will say it again, take delight in the Lord. And lastly, and this is a quite simple and effective way to translate it, enjoy the Lord always. I will say it again, enjoy the Lord. The title of the message, Impersonators, Imposters, and the Image of God, may sound like I'm going to fire a cannon at your boat and blow you out of the water. (laughs) Donna picked up on that when she saw the title. But that's not the intention. That's not the intention of this message. The purpose of this message is to help you experience the joy of the Lord. So that's our purpose. That's where we're going. The purpose of this message is to help you experience the joy of the Lord. This week, someone impersonated me on Facebook, and they seemed to do quite a good job at first. (laughs) So somebody set up an account, Glenn Gerhauser, stole my pictures, and started to message a lot of my friends. And they started to, quote, unquote, minister to them until they start to hand out the hat and say, okay, put money in this account. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how they went about it, desperate. But at first, they seemed to be doing a decent job until they started to make spelling mistakes and all that. And uh, the end of the scam was to get money from people. And this got me thinking This got me thinking, there are voices that try to imitate God. In our lives, there are voices that try to imitate God. They can be our own or others. So these voices come to impersonate God. To Sometimes they come from ourselves, our own self. Sometimes they come from others, authority figures, uh, religious systems. There are voices that try to imitate God. They, they can be our own. They can be others. There are also images that try to start, distort the image of God. There are certain images that people project and give out that try to distort the image of God, endeavoring to make him unkind and difficult. 
These impersonators, imposters, seek to steal your joy. And the Lord is knocking <laughs> on our door. I'm only saying that if you're at home because the kids are playing a little bit. Uh, they're a little bit rowdy. <laughs> so these impersonators and imposters seek to steal your joy. So it's important to recognize them and remove them from your life. Recognize them and remove them from your life. Are you ready? You ready to go? One of the most transformative truths is what Paul taught the Philippians. To find your joy in the Lord always. Find your joy in the Lord always over and over again, through every valley and even mountain in life. Now here at the end, I talk about even finding your joy in the Lord in every mountain in life. A mountain you can think of as a, a, a peak time where you're, where you're happy, where you're seeing this beautiful view. But even when things go right in your life and things are good, it's still critical that we find our joy in the Lord and not merely in the thing. The thing itself we may give thanks to God for. We may praise Him for it. We need to see that its source is from God if it's something that is good. And also, when we're in the valley where things are tough and the kids are rough in what they are saying to us in the schoolyard, and when things are not going as well and you're sad and your firstborn son leaves home. <laughs> we still need to find joy in the Lord. For those who don't know, Gideon left home just a week ago. And it's, uh, you know, it's a hard thing, you know, when you're, we're happy. It's a... Two emotions, happy that he's grown up and he's on his own and he's, he's earning a good wage and he can be out and he could get his own place and he's preparing for marriage. So happy about that, but sad because he's so close to our hearts and so we're sad. But in all the ups and downs of life, what I'm saying is we need to find our joy in God and not just take it for granted that if things are good and I'm happy, that uh, I don't need to find my joy in God. I, I need to constantly find my joy from the Lord. And one of the things I want to bring out is that God himself, God himself is joy. He is life. He is joy. And so our joy needs to come from him and be drawn from him. And this is what Paul is teaching us. Finding your joy in the Lord will save you from so much anxiety, worry, and fear. Life is not always happy, but the Father is still bursting with joy. So I'll say this again. Finding your joy in the Lord will save you from so much anxiety, worry, and fear. Life is not always happy, but the Father is still bursting with joy. So right after Paul exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. So he's repeating himself. It goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then, this is the verse that we were focusing on last week. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by pr prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the peace of God transcends all understanding. It's the same thing also with the joy of God and the love of God. The joy of God transcends understanding and the situation we are in, just like the peace of God. The love of God is like that too. It transcends all understanding. So we are not to live our lives by leaning on our own understanding, but really drawing our peace from God, our joy 
from him. And the father, no matter what's happening in the world, the father is still bursting with joy. It takes a whole survey of scripture from beginning to end to actually understand what that means. We won't do that. This is a shorter message. This is a shorter message today. Joy is one of the foremost marks of a disciple of Jesus. It's listed as the second in the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody remember the list of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you can get behind kindness, if you can get more than kindness, you probably have a master's degree. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> but we've got love, then joy. Notice that joy is the second. They all go together. They all one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and it goes on. We'll talk about it more tomorrow night. But notice that it is the second thing because it is so important. And it's connected with love because when you really know the love of God, you also, and show that love. When you know that love and show that love, there is genuine joy, his joy, his joy in your life. So it's listed as the second fruit of the Spirit. We'll turn there, Galatians chapter, just a couple, couple pages over, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ, oh, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The main thing I want to draw out is it's the second on the list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And it's joy, the importance of joy. Jesus begins his sermon on the mount, which is all about discipleship, with how happy are those who obey his words. So if you go to Matthew, we'll look, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount at church, and this has been also a theme. We'll look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And we notice that all these first 11 statements all start off with the word blessed. In Greek, it's makarios. In Hebrew, it's a, a very important word where makarios comes from uh, in the, you know, the theological thought. Uh, it's a very important word in Hebrew. You've heard me say it, ashray, ashray. This is how the Psalms start, ashray, how blessed. And ashray reminds me, every time I read it, of effervescent joy. The idea of being blessed here is happiness, joy, satisfaction. And sometimes people use the word blessed so much that it doesn't have any meaning to us. Hashtag blessed, you know? <laughs> like, I got those perfect size 10 shoes. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> And here, Jesus is saying this, this happiness that comes from the Lord, this joy that comes from this Lord, from the Lord, this ashray, how blessed, how happy, uh, it's from those who are hit. It's, it's, it's a part of the life. It's the mark. Let's say it like this. It's the mark of the life of a disciple of Jesus. And so this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Daniel mentioned that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the thing when we read all these things. Like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Every one of these that we start to read, we think, that's blessed? Being poor? <laughs> uh, that's blessed? Mourning? Or, or that's, that's blessed being kind of meek and gentle and people are trampling over you? <laughs> and that's blessed being hungry and thirsty? 
Blessed are the merciful. It's all these things are not normally what we think of as blessed or happy. But what is Jesus telling us here? He's, he's revealing to us that when we are poor in spirit, when we're desperate, when we're needy, it's actually a doorway into the kingdom of heaven where we rely on God, where we depend on God, where we have to find our joy in the Lord and not in the circumstance themselves. Those who mourn. You know, when you're mourning, it doesn't feel blessed, but when you find your comfort in God through the mourning and you find that comfort that transcends all understanding, that comfort that is greater than the pain that you're experiencing, then... Oh, you're blessed, you're happy. And that goes for everything here in the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you. You like to be insulted? I don't like to be insulted. And if somebody insults me, I will feel sad at first. Right? Will you feel sad? I, I think so. Some people may not. <laughs> but uh, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then it goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, yes, we don't feel good when people are insulting us, insulting us, insulting us, persecuting us, and saying all sorts of false things about us, but this is an opportunity for us to find our joy in the Lord and to become one with him who also was insulted and persecuted and people said false, false things about Jesus. So it's an opportunity to become one with his heart, with his mind. Are you with me? Yes. And this is how Jesus is beginning to explain what a disciple is. A disciple is blessed. He's happy. So the mark on all of our lives should be this happiness, this joy, this satisfaction, this fulfillment that comes from God. But that doesn't mean it just comes naturally. It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Are you with me here? It comes supernaturally. It comes by grace. It comes by us leaning on God and depending on Him. But it's real. Us coming to that well of living water and drinking from it. And that well is Him. That spring, that fountain is Him. So this brings us to our main text. It's going to be, it look, looks a little too small to read, so I'll read it. But it's a little bit too small. I should have put it on two slides. Uh, this is... Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Let me read this to you. And if you can't read it, I just want you to get the sense of it. Sense of it. This is Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. But the NIV translates talents as bags of gold. And there's a reason for that. Because when somebody reads talents, they think that the parable is about talents, the modern word talents when the ancient word for talents was, had to do with money and, so, and had to do with gold. So this is, that's how the Romans described their money. That was a name for money. So this is why the NIV goes this way. Let me read it to you. Again, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of his servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So come share the joy of your Lord. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received, and this is what I want us to pay attention to right now. So pay attention to the response of the man who hid his bag. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have Even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's the parable. It's a story that Jesus shared in order to illustrate a truth about God and the attitude we should have and about the Father. Now, What is the view of the person who didn't multiply his money? What is his view of the master? Yeah, he's a hard man. He's a hard man. This view of his master being a hard man caused the servant to take that bag of gold and hide it in the ground and do nothing with it. And why did he say he hid it in the ground? Why did he do it? He says here, I was afraid. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Now there's something here in this illustration, in this parable, which is very revealing. When we have a wrong view of God, when we think of him as hard and difficult, then what happens is we become afraid. And it's not the healthy fear of the Lord, which has to do with reverence and awe and wonder. What it ends up being is an unhealthy fear of God, where we are afraid of Him rather than rejoicing in Him, rather than cherishing Him, enjoying Him, valuing Him. We end up becoming afraid, and we don't move, we don't do anything. So a wrong view of God ends up crippling our lives. We don't become fruitful. We don't multiply what he has given us. We bury it in the ground. And this is why it's so important to have a right view of God. Now, what is the enemy trying to do in our lives in different voices? They are trying to impersonate God. They come as imposters saying God is difficult, God is hard. Even our own flesh can tell us this. God is difficult, God is hard, I might as well give up. And these voices come from all different places, all different angles, and even within ourselves, even from different experiences we had in growing up in religion. And these voices come, and what they do is they paint the wrong picture of God, and when we have a skewed view of God, a distorted view of God, we can't rejoice in Him. And then our lives end up being not effective, 
not multiplying what he has given us. And we actually, uh, yeah, we, we forfeit the good that we could have received. And all of this, it is say, say, it's saying to the servant, you know, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. How is it possible to be faithful with a few things? It's when we have a right view of God. And then the master says, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the joy of your Lord. Come and share in the master's happiness. So the joy comes when our view of God is, is correct. It's true. So let me repeat this again in, in different words. Observe what makes the man hide his bag of gold. He thinks his master is a hard man, right? We mentioned that before. And the Greek can be translated as, and listen to this, because a lot of people think of God like this. The Greek can be translated as difficult, dry, rough, harsh, stiff, unpleasant, strict, cruel, merciless, and stubborn. We could use any of those words to describe this Greek word, which sounds like a skeleton. It's, it sounds like it's where we get our word skeleton from. So think of it like this. When we have a wrong view of God, God is difficult. God is dry. He's rough. He's harsh. He's stiff. He's unpleasant. He's strict. He's cruel. He's merciless. And he's stubborn. Have you ever felt those thoughts in your head? Have you ever thought those thoughts? Have you ever heard that communicated through different people? This often is how God is painted, but he is not like this. He's not difficult, dry, rough, harsh, stiff, unpleasant, strict, cruel, merciless, or stubborn. He's not like this. So how many people have this view of God? And we can, especially when we're going through difficult times, we can start to develop this view and different people, how they treat us. We can start to project this on God when it could be, and it's often the devil is doing these things or people, sinful, sin does these things. But then we project it on God and say, oh God, you're difficult, you're rough, you're harsh, you're stiff, you're unpleasant. Are you with me here? Have you ever been there before? <laughs> viewing God as difficult and hard to please causes us to be afraid of him viewing God as difficult and hard to please causes us to be afraid of him we can't enjoy him our lives become unfruitful and we never enter into his joy So today, the Lord is cleansing our view, washing our eyes, which has been a theme for us. And we're actually almost near the end here. Viewing God as difficult and hard to please causes us to be afraid of Him. We can't enjoy Him. Our lives become unfruitful and we never enter into His joy. So, what's the solution? Instead of thinking like this, instead, let the Holy Spirit change your image of the Father. See Him as generous, joyful, and longing for you to succeed. See Him as generous, joyful, and longing for you to succeed. He doesn't delight in punishing you, nor does He keep a record of wrongs. He is quick to forgive and will give you everything you need to succeed. And when I'm thinking about success, I'm thinking about the success of doing the Father's will. Taking what he has given you and multiplying it. So it's the Holy Spirit that changes our image of the Father. The Holy Spirit's activity within changes our image of the Father. We should see him as generous. He's giving, as joyful. Enter into the master's joy. And he's longing for you to succeed.
You live in joy when you know how much you have in Jesus. Do you know how much you have in Jesus? You live in joy when you know how much you have in Jesus. And then there's that, that statement at the end of this, this parable here in Matthew 25. Enigmatic statement. First, it's hard to understand what it means, but it's verse 29. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. A long time ago, uh, maybe Tina will remember, I, I shared on that verse. I'm going to share some, some more on that. But let me repeat this again. I didn't hear this amen and resonation with this. You live in joy when you know how much you have in Jesus. Do you know how much you have? Because we're, again, our minds are often thinking about how much we do not have and all the things that are missing and the people that have left our lives and the money that we don't have and the, uh, maybe we don't have the same amount of bags of gold, quote unquote, that other people have. Yeah, do you want, uh, Fran, if you mind, if, if you can, uh, just unmute too and I guess. No, uh, sorry, that just reminded me what the serpent said to Adam and Eve, you know, like, like God, you know, was keeping something from them instead of looking at everything that God had given them, like everything in the garden and, and focusing on what they didn't have. Yeah, yeah amen. Just watch you. Yeah, amen. Amen. That is... That was this uh, serpent's tactic right in the beginning. You don't have everything. And uh, the knowledge of good and evil, which is the, I, the idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I was uh, studying it recently, and I may, I may mention this tomorrow, is the idea of good and evil is like a he Hebrew idiom for saying knowing everything. And today, everybody wants to know everything. We have Google. Uh, and we think that by searching Google, we know everything. But it's a insufficient knowledge. It's a knowledge about stuff and things and information. But it's not that knowledge of God and knowing Him, which we'll develop that more tomorrow night, God willing. So this is something that I was working on. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 I was working on it through, uh, in, during the Christmas time, that whole break, and I'm going to, I'll zoom in on it. It's a fresh translation of Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. One of the interesting things about this pa passage of scripture, this chapter, uh, this whole part, uh, Ephesians 1, 3, 1 through 10, is that it's one, in the Greek, it's, these long, long sentences. Uh, and in order to make it make more sense in English, I've broken down the sentences some more. But there it's like a big, uh, and it goes actually, this is just 3 through 10. It goes down to the whole thing, goes down to verse 14. But I've count, I, I was taking my Greek uh, New Testament and reading it yesterday, and it's 4 in... in <laughs> This is just three, uh, 3 through 10. It goes from 3 to 14. But it's four sentences in Greek. So these are long, long, long sentences. Why? And that's why when you read it in the King James and the New American Standard, it's convoluted. It's hard to understand. But it's, it's artistic in the original. And so I'm trying to bring out the meaning here with this. So I'm going to read this to you. Are you ready? Let me have some water. And what I want us to really take hold of is how much we have in Jesus. How much we have in Jesus, how much we have in our Messiah. How good is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah? He has bestowed on us all good things 
every blessing from the Spirit. It's ours in the Messiah who is in the heavens. Our Father has chosen us to be in Jesus. We have been fully included before the world's foundation, selected to be holy and without a spot before His eyes. In love, He determined to adopt us even before creating a thing. Through putting us into Jesus, the Messiah, He has brought us into the closest relationship imaginable with Him. This amazing grace is all based on His good pleasure and desire. It's all for the praise of His weighty glory. His grace has bestowed on us His favor and ushered us into His love, His beloved Messiah. In Jesus, we've been set free, released from the... uh, Released... Sorry, I'll read that again. In Jesus, we've been set free, released through the ransom payment of his blood. Though we strayed from the way he has forgiven us. Again, this is all based on the riches of his grace. It's abundant, nonstop, and ever-flowing. In all of his wisdom and understanding, the Father has revealed to us the mystery of his desire. It's because of his good pleasure, his intended plan in Jesus. And it's been unveiled and administered at just the right time. And what has he revealed? The Father desires to sum up everything in the Messiah. He wills to bring all things in the heavens and on the earth under his Messiah's headship. Amen? So what Paul is bringing out here is how good is God? the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, that He has bestowed on us all good things, every blessing from the Spirit. It's ours in the Messiah who is in the heavens. And then He goes on to explain all these good things, all these spiritual blessings we have in Jesus, in the Messiah, this amazing grace that we have. We lose our joy when we forget this. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of these things. Are you with me? Constantly dwell on it. Renew our mind and put our names in it. So it says here, our Father has chosen us to be in Jesus. We can say, our Father has chosen me, Glenn, to be in Jesus. You see? And I, I think they did this in this Overcomer movie. And uh, But it's something that preachers and teachers have shared before. And then you can put your name in it. I have been fully included before the world's foundation, selected to be holy and without a spot before his eyes. In love, Anna determined... Oh, so, no. In love, Jesus. In love, Jesus determined... Oh, sorry. Let's put the... It goes back to the Father. Boop. I need to edit myself. (laughs) In love, he determined to adopt us. This is where I'm going to put in Anna's name. In love, he determined to adopt Anna, even before creating a thing, through putting Anna into Jesus the Messiah. So what does the Father do? He takes us, he takes Anna, he puts Anna in Jesus. He takes Tina, he puts Tina in Jesus. This is grace. Because you didn't put yourself here. You didn't choose it. It wasn't your works. You just said, oh. You kind of just fall into his arms. And he's like, all right, come on. Here we are. And he plants this in Jesus. Through putting us into Jesus, the Messiah, he has brought Peter into the closest relationship imaginable with him. This is not something you have to earn. This is something that is given to you by grace. And this should wash off the different scales on our eyes when it comes to how we view God. You know, Paul, a great man, great scholar, before he knew all this, he had scales on his eyes. 
And when he got saved, the scales fell off his eyes. The scales had to do with all the religion and all the things he thought he knew and all of his good works of trying to be righteous. And, and God is so difficult, but I so want to please him. And this is what was in Paul's mind. And then he had this revelation of who Jesus is and how amazing his grace is. And it just began there uh, at the road to, uh, on the road to... Uh, Damascus, I almost said the road to Emmaus, but on the road to Damascus, just began there, and then it began to unfold some more as he grew. So let me put in Yushi's name here. <laughs> Through putting Yushi into Jesus the Messiah, he has brought Yushi into the closest relationship imaginable with him. Amen. So that is not something you earn. This is amazing grace that we need to take hold of. We need to take hold of and thank God and praise Him for. That's the beginning of this whole thing. Is a, it's a whole passage of praise to God, of thanksgiving to God. How good are you, God? And this is what we forget. And it's these simple truths we need to continually remind ourselves of. Yes? Yeah, and you got something coming. I'll put you on the mic so people can hear you at home. Thanks, Anne. I have written that passage out and personalised it with, my, with me. <laughs> God Amen. has given me. He's, his loving riches have cascaded over me. And I typed it out on a piece of paper and laminated it and put it on my bathroom mirror. Because you go into your bathroom yep. every day. And I don't read it every day but because I've had it there for a good while. But every so often I'd still stop and remember and read and remind myself what God has given me, what I have. Not that I have to work for what I have. Amen. 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 And when you realise what you have, you end up producing more. Because it's coming out of this, you're abiding in the vine. And this is like a, what I'm sharing today is like an overflow of Monday uh, night when we started to talk about enjoying God. Now we're almost finished here. Live, as Anne was saying, live with a having mindset rather than a not having mi mindset. I'll say that again. Live with a having mindset rather than a not having mindset. See what the Father has given you and use it instead of focusing on what is missing. As David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. Notice how he had that revelation there. The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. So then the emphasis, emphasis is off of us and onto him. The focus is off of us and also what people are doing to us and onto him. Yeah, people are trying to impersonate me. <laughs> and this, this type of thing, me is, I'm, I'm meaning like a plural me here, but this type of thing is going on Facebook. Yeah, people are trying to steal this and that, and they're gossiping and they're saying all these things, but the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to let their attitude and ways affect me and my emotions and my relationship with God. Do you see this kind of way of thinking? The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. They may be trying to cause lack, but I'm not going to lack because he is my shepherd. And then what did Jesus say? Whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Now, when he's saying this, whoever does not have, he is referring to that man in the parable who had a bag of gold, but he, in his mind, he did not have a bag of gold. He didn't take it as his own. He buried it in the ground. And the reason why he didn't take it as, as his own is because he had a wrong view of his master as being hard and difficult to please. So let, and so I'm afraid, so I'll hide this thing. 
So what Jesus is referring to here, whoever has will be given more. Those are people who really have taken hold of what God has given them. They've taken hold of his grace. They've taken hold of his generosity. They have Jesus and they know what they have in Jesus. Well, these will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, whoever thinks that, oh, what I've been given is really nothing. It doesn't compare to the other people I don't have. And you stop seeing what you have, especially what you have in Jesus. Then even what you have will be taken from you. So do not let anybody steal what you have in Jesus. And in Jesus, you have grace. In Jesus, you have joy. In Jesus, you have love. In Jesus, you have the ultimate husband. Through Jesus, you have the ultimate father. So again, we start thinking, well, I didn't have a father like my neighbor had a father. I remember when I was a kid, there was a kid in the neighborhood. He was quite a popular kid and strong and athletic. And he said to me, he, he, was, he says, oh, your father is a wimp. He's, he, he's a, something like your father is a, a wimp, an idiot, a jerk. And I really got sad because I never heard anybody make fun of my father like that. So I told my father, I said, Dad, so-and-so says you're a wimp, an idiot, and you're a jerk. <laughs> and I didn't really think about it uh, too much. And I, I forgot what my dad said, but I'm pretty sure my dad said, he doesn't have a dad, and that was the truth. The young man did not have a dad. And because he did not have a dad, he was jealous of my dad, and that's why he said what he said. Um, and when we are missing something in our lives, it causes us to, as some of you know, act out, be jealous, be upset. But once we start to see that I have everything in Jesus, I have a, a good father, I am blessed, I am not cursed, I am blessed. Because, and, and you've heard me emphasize this over and over because all the things we've been through in the last few years, I started to think, oh man, am I cursed? Am I forsaken? Am I rejected? What's happening here? But no, no, the Lord... In the Lord, we are blessed. I am blessed. Our church is blessed. We have all in Him. And so this mindset of having is the key to reproducing. It's the key to abundance. This is the last thing. When you live with a having mindset, you take hold of what the Father has given you. You value, cherish, and use it. So the ones that multiplied the bags of gold, they really valued. They really cherished what was given to them. But that one person at the end, he did not cherish. He did not value. And when we hear it all the time that God is good, we can tend to become numb to it. I don't want us to become numb to it. I really want us to explore the word and personalize and take it to heart and say, God is good, and not just good generally, but good to me. And it's given me eternal life. And I have eternity with him. And I am privileged because of this. That's another way to translate blessed, privileged. When you have a having mindset, you take hold of what the Father has given you. You value, cherish, and use it. You are full of thanksgiving. And you realize you have all things if you have Jesus. You have all things if you have Jesus. So once you really have this revelation, it stops the jealousy, the fighting, the competition, the... But now here's the thing with the word, and this is what I want to try to get into us. We know it in our minds. We know it in our heads. But we need to let it so get into our minds that it affects our emotions. It really gets into our emotions. And then, of course, if our emotions are down, God is greater than our emotions. But God wants his word to so get into our emotions that we start to live with a different attitude. 
Amen. We're going, let's all stand. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Here we are, Lord. We're thanking you for your grace. We're thanking you for your mercy. And I pray that today our, our view of God would be so renewed, so cleansed, uh, so that we would have the right image of you, Father, in our minds. And that image of our Father would cause us to live and think and act differently. Father, I want to start by praying for those at home, Grace, that she would experience the joy of the Lord. Lena, that she would taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bayless family, Donna and Kieran, all the children to experience your grace. Thank you, Jesus, and everybody that was online. We just put it, we just put everything into your hands right now. And we thank you that we have all in Jesus. Every good thing, Lord. So right now, I just want us to, as we, as we worship here, and Fran, if I can get you to unmute Anna, uh, or you see you got it, okay. And I just want us to open up ourselves to God's joy and knowing that joy. filled with thanksgiving for what he has given full of praise it might be good even now if we just hold up our hands if you're willing to just hold up your hands and just have this posture of receiving Father we're receiving your goodness we're receiving your grace. We're thanking you for everything that we have in you. Thank you for Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you that you are the ultimate father. We thank you that you're the ultimate shepherd. We thank you that you're the ultimate bridegroom. We thank you that you're the ultimate friend. Hallelujah. We thank you that you're the ultimate warrior who fights on our behalf. We thank you that you are the provider, Lord.